Welcome to another episode of Meat and Livestock Australia's On the Ground podcast, the weekly podcast providing the latest information and intelligence concerning the Australian red meat trade. I'm your host, Josh Anderson, and together with MLA's domestic and global team, we'll bring you up to speed with what's happening across Australia's red meat markets. The latest export statistics have just been released. Let's crunch the numbers this week with Tim Ryan. We'll also have a look at the domestic retail market, the impacts of recession, and what this means for retail meat purchases. Lastly, Nick Mara will provide his evaluation on the COVID impacts with our sixth largest sheep meat market, Saudi Arabia. First up, I'm joined by MLA's Global Market Insights Manager, Tim Ryan. Welcome. Good to be here, Josh. Tim, burning question for listeners. Now MLA offices are reopened. Have you shaved off your lockdown moustache? Yeah, the moustache has been a farewell, sadly. Well, that is a relief for all of us. (laughs) Tim, I love when the monthly stats come out. Let's start with beef. What's caught your eye? Yeah, and there's been some interesting trade dynamics over the last month um, across beef and sheep meat. Beef exports in May were about comparable with what we saw through April, but April was a short month due to Easter. Um, So if you look year on year, beef exports have slowed about 7%, and we've seen that across most of our markets. So not overly unexpected, given that we know uh, slaughter volumes are back? Yeah, the decline in exports year on year really reflects that shortage of slaughter cattle coming through due to that improvement in seasonal conditions and a lot of producers holding back stock or fattening them for longer. So generally over over the month of May, we saw a bit of a, a contraction in animals coming through to slaughter. And was there any market that sort of particularly stood out for you? Yeah, there's been some interesting trade dynamics in North Asia over the last six weeks or so. Part of that stems to what we've seen happen through the US supply chain uh, over that period. Uh, so if you wind back the clock to early April, US abattoirs were running fairly hot to try and meet that spike in retail demand in the market. But throughout April, And into May, uh, we saw a fairly sizable decline in U.S. slaughter capacity as COVID-19 rippled through U.S. slaughter floors. So the U.S. went from producing about 260,000 tonnes per week uh, at the end of March to about 160,000 tonnes by mid-May. So that contraction in supply over a fairly short period of time has flowed through to exports. And even though we've seen a recovery almost to normal levels in the U.S. processing, Um, We haven't seen that same recovery flow through to exports just yet. So over that period, we have seen a bit more support for Australian beef in the likes of Korea and Taiwan, which last month um, were actually up a little bit. Korea was up 2% and Taiwan was up 5%. And we've also seen support for product in the likes of Japan as well, which while declined a little bit year on year, it was still our strongest market for the month overall. Yeah, and again, slight declines, probably not as significant given that we're we're well back in terms of production. What about sheep meat, Tim? What's standing out for you? So in terms of sheep meat, they're experiencing a fairly similar supply shortage out of Australia, mainly due to that improvement in seasonal conditions and, and producers holding back animals to rebuild depleted flocks. Um, so in May, lamb exports were back about 39% year on year. And we'd normally see these kind of levels in a month or two during that winter supply lull. So they're pretty tight. And mutton was back more so, declining about 45% year on year to levels we haven't seen since the 2016 flock rebuild. Tim, what about China? We've obviously had some challenges over the past month. Uh, what are we seeing in terms of our export volumes? Yeah, so export volumes volumes most of the year have been really strong uh, despite the obvious challenges in the market and more recently with some plants being suspended. Um, May volumes are up 6% year on year 
And that's off a pretty good start um, in 2019, which we're comparing against. And lastly, Tim Ryan, is it fact or is it fiction? US beef prices have come down just as fast as they've come up. Yeah, well, this is another one of those things about COVID that's been unprecedented. That huge shortage in the US market over a period of about a month saw the US wholesale market being priced at about 230 US cents per pound uh, in early April to about 475 mid-May. As of this week, the US cutout wholesale uh, value is back to around 250 US cents per pound. So prices have certainly uh, skyrocketed, and but they've come back just as quick in the market. So US is back. What about another key competitor, Brazil? Yeah, well, Brazil's at risk of repeating history in terms of comparing it to the US. Cases across the country are still increasing at a fairly high rate. And now we're hearing some reports of plants closing temporarily to either disinfect working spaces or because there's too many employees with cases of COVID-19. So we're yet to see a lot of evidence that it's repeating exactly what the US has done, but there's certainly a risk that it, it could mirror some of those trends we saw in the US. Tim Ryan, thanks for your time. Thanks, Josh. My next guest is MLA's National Customer Development Manager working across the Australian domestic market, Scott Cameron. Welcome back. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here again. Mate, every time we talk, we talk about the latest Nielsen Home Scan research. The figures have just been released for May. What's the latest? Well, Josh, the uh, the numbers are up until the 17th of May. So most states' food service channels still had restricted operations in place at that time, which meant that retail sales continued the strong growth trends we saw in April. So overall, beef grew by 25% over the 12 weeks to 17th of May versus the same time last year. And um, the growth was driven by two main factors. Firstly, an increase in households purchasing beef. In fact, there are an additional 225,000 households buying into the category. And secondly, there was an increase in spend amongst existing buyers. So they were shopping more frequently and spending more on each occasion. And those beef cuts, which proved to be most popular, were mints, sausages and steaks. And with some big price discounts on some premium cuts, we also saw some growth on scotchies and ribeyes as well. From a lamb perspective, we saw national value growth of 20% versus a year ago. And this was pretty much all driven by those existing lamb buying households shopping more often and spending more. And in terms of cuts, it was the traditional favourites of cutlets, lamb leg and mint, which saw the strongest growth, with added value or pre-marinated cuts also flying out the door. And then looking at the, um, the channel segments to understand where people were going to buy their meat, it was pretty much across the board with all grocery retailers experiencing solid growth, but it was the, um, the independent butcher shops which grew about double that of the national average. So a 46% growth in beef and 40% growth in lamb. And butcher shops also welcome more new shoppers than any other grocery account. Right. So consumers are still going to their butcher for their beef and lamb, which is great. So that 25% increase on beef uh, in retail, would we expect that to come back now? Food services starting to open up again? Look, I think the initial reads are that uh, since the restrictions are starting to ease, we're seeing um, a little bit of ease in terms of those growth rates uh, as people decide to go out and eat, eat out a little bit more. But the expectation is that, you know, categories like mince and sausages, which are traditionally a, a cook at home, will stay fairly strong. Yeah, that's it. I think that the key is going to be uh, around 
you know, those additional 220 odd households who have bought into the category, how how we re- retain those those households, especially during uh, weeknight occasions. Yeah, I get it. We, we, we've got them in. We've provided them a good experience. We want to keep doing so. Absolutely. Let's talk about the retail landscape. Um, you know, obviously we see headwinds in the future. Recession undoubtedly is going to have consumers tightening their budgets uh, and looking for value in their shop. How's this likely to impact the retail segment? Yeah, well, value is absolutely top of mind at the moment. Someone's assessment of value can actually have different meaning depending on the circumstance and occasion. For example, we know during recessions that there's an increase of around 50% of shoppers who look for price discounts. So from a retailer and a brand owner perspective, assessing your promotional program by cut is really important. For other people, shopping to a budget is more likely and therefore actual price points become critical. And often smaller portion sizes have a lower price point and are more attractive. For example, if I'm doing a weeknight grocery shop with, say, a $50 budget, spending $20 on a butterfly leg doesn't leave a lot for other essentials. So I might look for what's on offer for around a $10 price point. Also, something that's good value doesn't have to mean it's cheap. It might mean that I value a cut that has little or no wastage or trimming or something that's locally sourced and a product that I know I can trust to be healthy and that I know is great quality and the family are going to love. So that's where MSA products really sort of come in, which is that assured quality. Um, And then finally, believe it or not, the aspect of convenience can also play a part in determining where or how shopping for red meat is made. So, for example, during COVID, when many people were limiting their time outside the house, online shopping really took off. And not only in grocery chains, but also some butchers and wholesalers expanding their operations to home delivery. And with many people trying out Um, online shopping for the first time and if they had a good experience in terms of minimizing the time it took them to shop and receiving the same quality as if they would when choosing from the meat cabinet themselves I think we'll continue to see an increase in online meat sales. Wow that's really interesting Scott and and interesting for brand owners obviously to to focus in on, on what that value proposition is and how it's defined. So with that in mind, what's the retail sector likely to do in terms of marketing to address consumers' concerns around around value or their, or their need for value? Well, I mean, I think in terms of value, um, we're going to see, you know, a lot more catalogue pricing activity as we've seen during COVID. I think that'll um, certainly continue. And then I also think in response to some of the other shopper behaviour changes, they'll be met with a number of responses from the retailers. And firstly, as I mentioned before, the acceleration of online purchasing will mean an increase in home delivery. And um, we may see some evolution in terms of how products are delivered to minimise person-to-person contact, for example, and focus on localised supply where possible because consumers are going to want to see and they're going to want to be assured that products are free of risk and are safe. 
Secondly, there's likely to be more collaboration and partnership, and that's both vertically and horizontally, as we've seen an increase in you know, things like meal kits with uh, U-foods, for example, and also the growth in ingredient delivery models such as HelloFresh and Marley's Spoon, etc. There's plenty of collaboration opportunities for local and fresh produce supply here. And then one other thing that we've actually seen overseas in China, there's been an increased usage of new grocery or ordering apps, which is a different experience to a typical online ordering through websites. So with the desire for increased convenience and the technical improvements on mobile devices, we're seeing this is something that we might see here in the future. So give me the latest, Scott, you've always got great insights in what MLA is doing in terms of marketing activities. What's coming up? Well, Josh, I'm sure you will have seen the um, Aussie Beef, the greatest ads as part of our MasterChef uh, sponsorship, which we've been running for the last couple of weeks and is going to continue throughout July. But we're also launching a new winter lamb campaign, which is an online campaign, and it's uh, hashtag share the secret recipe, which um, has got a bunch of the best multicultural lamb recipes, which is handed down over generations from Aussie seniors, and they're sharing um, their secrets with uh, the younger generation online. You can see that on YouTube and also uh, Australian Lamb website. Oh, I love it. Hopefully unlocking uh, some really good recipes there. Absolutely. There'll be a couple there for you, I'm sure, Josh. (laughs) Yeah, I have to learn how to cook first. Marcy, Scott, Cameron, is it fact or is it fiction? I've heard that fries or, or chips in Australia, sorry, were the item that was the biggest increase in home deliveries during the COVID crisis. I believe this might have been the case for the US, Josh, uh, but I actually read an Uber Eats report which had desserts which were up the top for Australia, yeah. So we must have more of a sweet tooth when it comes to comfort food choices than the uh, than the Americans. But personally, I'm more of a burger guy myself. Yeah, I go the burger and chips every day of the week. Scott Cameron, thanks for your time. No worries. Over to the Middle East where we have Nick Mara, Regional Manager. Nick, welcome back. Hi, Josh. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Nick, provide us an update on the COVID situation across the Middle East. Josh, it's still very mixed um, across most of the countries in the Middle East. Although UAE, or particularly Dubai, has seen a lot more opening up, it's still very much uh, restricted movement and curfews, strict curfews in place in um, places like Kuwait. Qatar and Saudi. UAE has been great because in the last few weeks we've seen uh, offices starting to reopen, the government policy saying it's fine for companies to reopen and go back to work. We've seen a number of restaurants now reopening and there is social distancing rules put in place, but it's it's been really good to see some business uh, get back up, up and running here in Dubai. And a great story that I've had a sneak peek on the MLA website indicating that air freight was back to the UAE 43% in April due to the reduction in passenger cargo flights are we seeing a recovery now well we are seeing it's a it's, it's a bit mixed because i guess we saw the the real impact of flight reductions happen in april i mean all through march they reduced reduced and then we're down to nothing the initiative by the government to to help some of the, the freight rates on the air cargo has helped slightly but the big thing is that although we're seeing some flights being announced and more and more flights out of the uae to the rest of the world being announced there's not a great deal of passengers so the borders are still very much shut so those flights aren't carrying many passengers. So they're relying on freight for to pay their way, basically. So to do that, the, the freight rates are still very high. The funding available from the Australian government 
uh, is covering a little bit of that increase, but not all of it. So really, we're still seeing 100% increase in freight rates on air at the moment. Through April, we would have seen a lot of product that could be put on the water. Uh, but we'll see, we, we will see a reduction because things have been impacted here in the, in the food service and the, the hospitality, the tourism section. So let's talk about our six biggest sheep meat market, Saudi. Obviously, still coming to grips with the COVID crisis, rates still quite high. How's this going to impact our trade? Through um, the second half of last year and the, and the first quarter of 2020, we, we saw some really good volumes and we actually saw volumes increase across Saudi. They've been opening up Saudi and really looking to do business. You know, before COVID started, they opened up for tourism uh, visas and made them quite easily to get. They were starting to have a lot more open sport, a lot more uh, concerts and events up there. You know, they, they've got a lot of long-term tourism projects on the cards. So development of the Red Sea, it's a great asset that they've actually recognised and started to develop. So there was a lot of work going into that. And we'd start to see volumes pick up. At the same time as COVID, we did have a, an issue with the oil price that has affected Saudi quite significantly as well. So that will might have some longer term impact, although we did see some good news coming out of the OPEC or the OPEC plus over the weekend, uh, where there's been agreement to cut or reduce production across several oil producing uh, nations, which will we've seen an increase in the oil price so far this week. So yeah, hopefully that there's a plan to get some of that back on track, which will help Saudi as well. What are our key target markets in Saudi? I guess if you look at our volume, traditional volume up there, it's always been a strong mutton market, and that's all frozen, sea freighted. So it's it's not an impact of some of the transport problems at the moment. And this is where we've probably lost a lot of our volume this year or you know, in this last couple of months was in mutton volume. And that's a lot of that's to do with availability out of Australia. And there's been competition with China. So we actually saw uh, an increase in volumes first quarter of mutton as China volumes went down because of the impact on COVID there, and now they're picking up again. So whatever is available is going to be you know, a battle on, on price to get it into these markets that want it. We did see, though, throughout last year when mutton was short that some of the importers up there switched to some Australian frozen veal, which filled some of that gap. So that was good to see that increase as well into that market. No, we did it. We did a deep dive last week on the latest sheep projections that were out, and certainly supply is going to be a, a real challenge in all of our markets. Lastly, Nick Mara, is it fact or is it fiction? Saudi Arabia has allocated $2 billion Rials or 533 million US dollars to funding importing agricultural products and securing food supplies amid the COVID crisis. Ah, yes, it is, Josh. They've uh, got a considerable budget each year for food security. So uh, this would just be um, another project that's coming online. COVID has definitely highlighted the food security or the, the food security risk around all these nations. There's been a lot of analysis of, of how this has impacted them and what they can do and, and how they can secure that. But in Saudi, they, they've got a number of long-term projects and they've had projects internally develop their own capabilities of, of food production, agricultural production, and they've also partnered with other countries. And they've got significant investments in Australia as well to help with food security. COVID's very much highlighted that and these nations will be probably uh, focusing a lot more on it in the next few years. No camel fact or fiction for Mina this week, Nico. (laughs) Very insightful. Thanks very much. No worries, Josh. That's a wrap for this week's podcast. So you don't ever miss an episode of On The Ground, make sure you subscribe. Also, stay informed by the MLA website and follow hashtag COVIDREDMEATUPDATE on LinkedIn. Also, remember that our market teams are at your disposal 
and with all the contact details on the MLA website, the managers are waiting for your call. Next week, in addition to on-the-ground intel, we will look at the brand strategy and particularly the challenges and opportunities of growing a brand through recession. We'll unlock some brilliant marketing minds and strategies, so please subscribe to ensure that you don't miss out. I'm Josh Anderson and look forward to joining you then.